Okay, so waking up with Leah, a bit of a provocative title. And here is the story. I'm going to be reading from the ESV because there, there are some, some areas in the ESV that are much more literal than the NIV. And, and in some cases, it'll be helpful to stop and look at uh, some of the words that are a bit important. So uh, now, but before I, I get to this point of reading, we're, we're going to find Jacob on the run. That's where we left him last time as we were studying uh, back in Genesis 27 and 28. Why was he on the run? Well, for good reason. He had just perpetrated one of the greatest deceits and cheats that could have been imaginable and one that really does cause us to step back on the pages of Scripture. He had just masqueraded and manipulated Isaac into thinking that he was someone else, into thinking that he was his older brother Esau. And I would imagine that part of him, Jacob, must have been so frightened but yes, so also so unsettled and so reminded all along the way that he was not Esau. And he was reminded of that probably all of his life when Isaac overtly favored Esau over him. Always favored the, the, the boy that went out and hunted. The, the boy that had a, a, a smell in his hair of, of, of running through the fields rather than the boy who had the apron strings tied around his waist, which is who Jacob was. And I'm sure that psychic scar, that unfulfilled yearning, drove so much of the agenda of Jacob's life. Even this master manipulation of Isaac, not only to steal the birthright, which he had done earlier from Esau, the inheritance, but now... The unique blessing. And we talked about how important blessings were in ancient times and how we, we could underestimate them. Next time, perhaps we'll estimate them. But, but, but as, as we consider all that, that Jacob had done, all that he had perpetrated, we then find him on the run because Esau is wanting to kill him. Not just, oh, I'm going to kill him. No, I mean it. Like, I've got a plan. I will kill him. And when you say it that way, it's not like, oh, okay, we can talk this out. No, you don't even pack your bags. You just run. Yeah. And so Jacob did, and he ran. And, and here he is, a, a young man grown out of a boy that was always overlooked. A boy that never knew the glint of his father's eye when he looked at him the way that he looked at Esau. A, a boy that was still yearning for the acceptance, the affirmation the significance, the validation that was never his. But then he gets it. He actually gets it in a dream. And in his dream, he sees the, the stairway to heaven. He has God next to him, showing him the great plan of God. And then he has God affirm the blessing to him. That unique plan of God by which through Abraham, Isaac, and now Jacob, the redemption of all nations and the blessing of all people. Not only you, Jacob, are you blessed, but you will be a blessing to all people. He's actually now received an intervention by God himself, just as his grandfather Abraham had had on multiple occasions, just as Isaac had back in chapter 26. Now it has come to him as well. And God coming alongside of him, showing him in beautiful vision, in dreams, but also now affirming to him with words that you are now the chosen vessel. Through you will come the seed 
Through you is the chosen path by which all glory will return. Paradise restored. It's all coming through you. I would think that would be pretty good validation at that point in time. But yet we still see a man, even with that experience in his life, even not yet at the point of allowing that to percolate, to ruminate within him, where the gospel, the good news of God, is able to affirm who we are, so that we're not longing for other things, not looking for completion in created things, rather than in the creator. And we find him now on the run, still smarting from the rejection of family, longing perhaps to see the one person that ever loved him, his mother, and he will never see her again. And with all of that in mind, we, we pick him up in uh, verse 15 of 29. Then Laban said to Jacob, because you are my kinsman. Well, I, I'm sorry, I'm going I'm to back it up just a little bit. In, in verse uh, 4, Jacob said to them, my brothers, where do you come from? They said, we're from Herod. He's on the run. He comes to a well. Do you know Laban, the son of Nahor? They said, we know him. He said to them. Is it well with him? They said, it's well. And see, Rachel, his daughter, is coming with the sheep. He said, behold, it is still high day. It is not time for the livestock to be gathered together. Water the sheep and go, pasture them. But they said, we cannot until all the flocks are gathered together and the stone is rolled away from the mouth of the well. Then we water the sheep. While he was still speaking with them, Rachel came with her father's sheep, for she was a shepherdess. Now, as soon as Jacob saw Rachel, the daughter of Laban, his mother's brother, and the sheep of Laban, his mother's brother, Jacob came near and rolled the stone from the well's mouth and watered the flock of Laban, his mother's brother. Then Jacob kissed Rachel and wept aloud. And Jacob told Rachel that he was her father's kinsman and that he was Rebekah's son. And she ran and told her father. This would have been especially poignant to Jacob because this is not just Isaac's family. Isaac, who never really had much regard for him, this is his mother's family. And to long for the affection of his mother, never to have it again, and now to be connected to all of his mother's family, look at how it just gushes over at this moment. Now, it may be that Rachel is just so beautiful, she brings tears to his eyes. And, and, and that may be the case as well. But it goes much deeper than that at this moment. It is the fact that you're being reconnected to a deep longing that runs rather uh, uh, deep in the soul. As soon as Laban heard the news about Jacob, his sister's son, he ran to meet him and embraced him and kissed him and brought him to his house. Jacob told Laban all these things and Laban said to him, surely you are my bone and my flesh. And he stayed with him a month. Then Laban said to Jacob, because of your, you are my kinsman, should you therefore serve me for nothing? Tell me, what shall your wages be? I guess in one month's time, Laban was able to discern pretty quickly that Jacob is blessed by God. The work that he does as a shepherd seems to be working out pretty well. A guy who only knew his way around the kitchen is suddenly doing pretty well in the fields as well. And I would imagine that this is a time for Jacob, where he's starting to feel some of the fulfillment that he so deeply longs to hear. And to have a father figure say, boy, you can do outdoor work. That's pretty impressive. And, and not only that, but I think Laban begins to see in Jacob an answer 
to a really big problem that he has. Well, he has two really big problems. He's greedy, and the fact that Jacob can produce money for him, well, that, that's kind of a nice one. But the other big problem that he has is he has two daughters. He has Leah and Rachel. And Rachel is a stunner. It'll describe it in just a moment. But Leah is not. And Leah, sadly, as, as we'll see in this story, uh, is, is a, it, how difficult it would be, I would imagine, to, to be the older sister in this society, in this ancient society, to be the older sister and to be completely eclipsed by your younger sister, who is the belle of the ball, who is the great beauty of the land. But to also know that she's the one, according to tradition and according to custom, that needs to be married first. But everybody's looking past her. And Laban, as a father, also feels the pressure of this. And he here has in his sights Jacob, who may just be the solution to everything that he needs. And so, here it progresses. Tell me, what shall your wages be? Laban asked Jacob. Now Laban had two daughters. The name of the older was Leah, and the name of the younger was Rachel. Leah's eyes were weak, but Rachel was beautiful in form and appearance. That, that word for beautiful in form and appearance will be used, I think, in 37 as well for, for Joseph as a, as a man. But it, the idea of form and appearance, form has to do with the body and appearance with the face. So it's, it's basically saying that, you know what, she was the full package from a, an aesthetic standpoint. But it's in contrast to Leah. Now, it says Leah's eyes were weak. I don't think that's just a... It's the, literally the word soft or fragile that is in the Hebrew. Um, it's, it's hard to discern exactly what that word means. If you were to say someone has soft eyes, I think we would have to understand the idiom of that day. But I think we can understand it by context because we have the contrast. Leah was this, but Rachel was that. And so to say that Leah was this, weak eyes is a way to somehow denigrate her appearance and and recognize that something about that made her unattractive. And that sadly, she was an unattractive woman. Where on the other hand, here's Rachel, who was gorgeous in both face and form. And uh, and both of them now are in in the sight of Jacob. But look at what, what it immediately says. Jacob loved Rachel. And he said, I will serve you seven years for your daughter, Rachel. Laban said, it's better that I give her to you than I should give her to any other man. Stay with me. So Jacob served seven years for Rachel and they seemed to him but a few days because of the love he had for her. I want us to look very carefully at the words used here, because what what he says is, I will serve you seven years specifically for your younger daughter, Rachel. I think I've made that clear. Your younger daughter, Rachel. All right. If, if, that's, if it's not specific enough, I can get more specific, I would imagine you would say. And, and look at Laban. I think Laban realizes, you know, I've got a guy in the hook right now who is so blinded by emotion and even blinded by desire that I don't think he's going to get that I'm about to pull one over on him. 
and that the master deceiver has just met his match. Because the careful words that Laban uses here really school the great deceiver of Jacob. And look at what he says. He doesn't say, you got it. Yes, agreed. He doesn't say that at all. Because if he did, then he would be agreeing to the younger daughter, Rachel. But there is no yes, no affirmation, no yes, we've got an agreement on that. Instead, it's this kind of tangential phrase that is nonetheless seeming to be positive in some way or another that says, you know, it is better that I give her to you than I should give her to any other man. Stay with me. Now, he's not kind of revealing the fullness of this plan. Ultimately, he will give her to him. But what he is actually saying, ultimately, it is better that I give her to you than I give her to any other man. So you know what? Stay here. This thing's going to work itself out. So he did. He served him for seven years in his mind for Rachel. And they seemed but a few days because of the love he had for her. Then Jacob said to Laban, give me my wife that I may go into her. This is coarse speech, by the way, on Jacob's part. For seven years, he's been pining and longing, and his uh, desires have, uh, fires of his desires have been burning brighter and brighter. Uh, I'm sure that it was no surprise that the seven years was up. There must have been some sort of X's being marked on a wall somewhere uh, to to make sure that this was going to be, and it's like, yes, it's the time. Let's do this thing. Let's have, but, but I would also think that it would be time to make preparations for a great wedding celebration. But rather than talk about the great week-long celebration that we now need to start planning, it is like, time's up, I want to go into her. Ooh, it's, it, it, it feels that way in the original language. It feels that way to us. Give me my wife that I may go into her, for my time is completed. So Laban gathered together all the people of the place, And made a feast. But in the evening, and on the first night of the feast, of all wedding feasts, it's on the first night where the bride is veiled. If we remember back in Genesis 24, when Rebecca sees Isaac, what is it that she does before the consummation of the wedding? She veils herself. And so there's lots of heavy veils and lots of alcohol involved in these wedding celebrations. The combination of alcohol, darkness, no artificial light whatsoever, uh, and veils probably work in Laban's favor here for the little scheme that he is hatching. But in the evening, um, but in the evening, he took the daughter Leah and brought her to Jacob, and he went into her. Laban gave his female servant Zilpah to his daughter Leah to be her servant. And in the morning, behold. It was Leah. And Jacob said to Laban, What is it you have done to me? Did I not serve you for Rachel? Why have you deceived me? My first point today is reaping what you sow. Why have you deceived me? Maybe as the word came out of his mouth, Rama, deceived. He may have remembered that word coming out of someone else's mouth. In Genesis 27, right after he had perpetrated his great masquerade before Isaac, Isaac says to Esau, in full hearing of Jacob, your brother came deceitfully, Ramah, and he took your blessing. 
To hear his father say, your brother came here in deceit. Your brother came here in Rama, and he took your blessing. Probably those words still stung in his ears. The moment where he felt some small bit of validation of being regarded highly as the, as the son of blessing, right after hearing it, Jacob hears his father then say to Esau, his true favorite, his true love, that other one came in here, came in here in Ramah, and he perpetrated his mess. And now Jacob uses the same word, and I would imagine as the word leaves his mouth, a flood of memories comes into full view for him. Why have you deceived me? Laban said, It is not done so in our country to give the younger before the firstborn. I, I read this in the ESV because it is a bit more literal. Uh, where, whereas the NIV kind of adds a lot where you can kind of lose the sense of what Jacob would have felt at this moment. And, and it is often interesting that right after this, that this is a big deceit, right? This is a big deal. He worked seven years. The cap for the bride price in the ancient world was 50 shekels. That's the most that you would pay for a bride. You got paid one and a half shekels per month for the type of shepherding work that he was doing. Over 84 months times one and a half shekels. I've tried it over here before. I don't think it works. But nonetheless, but you know, we're, we're, we're talking about more than double, almost triple the bride price that, that he's willing to pay. He's done all of this. And now after having given seven years of my life, all for the great desire, the great validation that will finally bring me to a place where I feel whole. What I've never felt before. Finally, I will feel validated. I will feel accepted. I will have the affection that justifies who I am. And instead, you deceived me. Just as Isaac in darkness in his blindness reached out and asked, Esau, is that you? And Jacob said, oh, yes, it is, father. So at night... In darkness, as Jacob reached out, said, Dear Rachel, is that you? Leah said the same thing. Oh, yes, it is. You reap what you sow. Jacob is getting back all of the cunning and conniving landing back upon his own head at this moment. Why is it that Jacob doesn't protest more? This is a big deal. He just got ripped off for seven years of labor. He just got ripped off of, of his soulmate. Why doesn't he protest? Because I think he realized as soon as he said the word deceit, he realized, I know, I know what this is like. And then for Laban to carefully choose his words. And basically what he says is, you know, in these parts, as far as it goes around here, I don't know about back where you are, but around here, it's not the custom to put the younger in front of the older. We honor that around here, if you know what I'm trying to say. <laughs> and yeah, I may have deceived you, but I was trying to do the right thing. You deceived, and you were trying to upend the custom around these parts. And it is interesting that Jacob doesn't protest at this point. 
Jacob's like, well, shut my mouth. <laughs> we reap what we sow. For Jacob, what he was running after so heartily was ultimate validation. Ultimate filling of the emptiness. The unsettled lack of, of peace that he, he so wanted to finally be whole, to have integrity. That they kept eluding him. He thought, this is finally it. But he just realized, I was trying to get it again in, in a way that was not proper. And he shut his mouth. Laban said, it is not done in our country to give the younger before the firstborn. Complete the week of this one, and we will give you the other also in return for serving me another seven years. Jacob's mouth is still shut, and it just says, Jacob did so. And he completed her week. The first night is the night of consummation. Then you continue throughout that week to celebrate. Then Laban gave him his daughter Rachel to be his wife. It seems like this would be consecutive weeks. Laban gave his female servant Bilhah to his daughter Rachel to be her servant. So Jacob went to Rachel also, and he loved Rachel more than Leah. And served Laban for another seven years. When the Lord saw that Leah was hated... And that is the word there. And that's why I'm reading the ESV, by the way. When the Lord saw that Leah was hated, he opened her womb, but Rachel was barren. By the way, throughout the Bible, we'll encounter this idea of loved versus hated. Uh, for, for example, in Romans 9, it says about God that, um, that uh, Isaac, uh, I'm sorry, Jacob I loved, but Esau I hated. It's, it's not... It is an idiom in the Hebrew. It is an idiom that means I choose to say I love one but hate the other is, is not to actually even mean that all my love is for one and absolute hate on the other. It is an idiom to be able to say the one that I choose, the one that I prefer is Isaac. Or when Jesus says, if anyone comes to me and does not hate mother, father, mother, father, wife, son, children, he cannot be my disciple. It's not that Jesus is saying, all right, here's a prereq for, for following me. Go back and tell your mother you hate her. Right? It's not, he's using the same idiom of you need to choose me over any relationship that could ever vie for lordship in your life. And if your mama could be lord of you rather than Jesus, well, then you're going to choose Jesus. And you would, in a sense, be affirming Jesus I loved, but mother I hated. Again, not to mean that that is actual hate. It is the, it is the idiom of choice that, that is there. So just, just to keep that one clear as we read this. He, when the Lord saw that Leah was hated, he opened her womb, but Rachel was barren. And Leah conceived and bore a son, and she called his name Reuben. For she said, because the Lord has looked upon my affliction, for now my husband will love me. Now listen to Leah's heart cry as well. The barrenness of her soul, despite the fruitfulness of her womb, because she is an unloved wife. Proverbs 30 says, three things that the world cannot stand under four things, it trembles. And one of those is an unloved wife. The world trembles in this situation. But even as the world trembles, God looks down on Leah, the unloved wife. And he takes great consideration of her. But it seems as though Leah is not interested in that. 
Everything for Leah is if I could only get Jacob to affirm me, to validate me, to accept me, to give me the affection, to give me the significance. This is what now Leah is longing after. So she conceived again and bore a son and said, because the Lord has heard that I am hated, he has given me this son also. And so she called his name Simeon, which means he hears. Reuben, he sees. Simeon, he hears. Again, she conceived and bore a son and said, now this time my husband will be attached to me because I have borne him three sons. Therefore, his name was called Levi, Levi to be attached. And she conceived again and bore a son and said, this time I will praise the Lord. Therefore, she called his name Judah, which means praise. Then she ceased bearing. So my first point, reaping what you sow. Uh, you know, I, I think we've already recognized the, the depth to what Jacob has gone after and how that can so easily just fall on our own head. But for any of us, when, when we think that our manipulations, our clever darkness is somehow going to deliver for us what we think will be the ultimate solution, how often is it? Maybe every time, eventually every time, that all of that gets exposed and only brings about a harvest of the ugliness that we sowed. Proverbs 28 is so applicable again. He, whoever conceals their sin will never prosper. If that's the manipulation that you're trying to do to get your blessing in life, it will never happen. You try to play the cover-up game, it, you, will, you will never prosper. But whoever confesses and forsakes their sin, that person will receive mercy. Proverbs 28, 13. God cannot be mocked. You reap what you sow, he tells us so, uh, with such affirmation in, in Galatians 6. We reap what we sow. If we're trying to play a game before God, if we think that our little manipulations, our sinful attempts at gaining the, the benefits of our life can really bring that about, ultimately God is going to discipline you. And here's praying that he will do it soon. But more importantly, that his Holy Spirit will at least open your eyes to recognize that that scheme is destined for even worse pain. And why not drop it while you can so that you don't have to reap all that you've sown? Stop sowing to the sinful nature, which reaps death, but rather sow to the Spirit. Shift gears, pivot now. Jacob could have done that at any point of, of, of shifting and, and really making his life all about God rather than all about trying to get his own fulfillment through his own means. And it's very easy because you've been overlooked, because you've been treated unfairly to actually justify what you do. I'm sure Jacob was able to justify what he did. Yeah, but everybody has overlooked me. Everybody has looked down on me. They call me the sissy kitchen boy. You know what? I'm, I'm going to get mine now. That's fine. I've endured enough. I don't think it would be so bad that I finally get some sort of affirmation, some pleasure in my life. Well, if you go about it in a way outside of the will of God, you will reap what you sow. And so he does. He does and then some here. But moving on, what it is that he reaps is he wakes up with Leah. That's my second point. 
title as well, Waking Up With Leah. Every time that we go after some sort of perceived fulfillment of our life, whatever it might be, if it's not God, it's not going to bear the weight of your expectations. If you're married right now, and even if you have a great spouse, if you're trying to put on that spouse all of your validation, all of your soul-longing fulfillment, well, you're putting on that spouse something they were never meant to bear. And it will crush them, and it will crush your marriage, and it will crush you in the process. All of this is all meant to be placed somewhere else. It's all meant to be placed on the creator, not the creation. Whatever that creation be. Or maybe it's your children. Maybe that's what's filling the longing of your soul. It's through your kids. And as you helicopter them. And as, as you're overly involved with them. And as you look for your own fulfillment through them. More than you know what you're doing to them. It's going to come back upon you. If you're not entrusting them over to Christ, not allowing Jesus to be in their life, not backing off so that they can be refined by Christ so that they can know the fullness of life in Christ rather than you being the one that manages it all the way through. What are you protecting them from? You're protecting them from Jesus. How odd is that? Let that go. Get your fulfillment from Christ. Let them get that fulfillment from Christ. Maybe it's your career. You think, you know, finally, I'm going to achieve. I'm going to get the accolades. I'm going to get the little plaque with my picture on it. I'm going to get the better office. I'm going to get the next rating. I'm going to advance in rank before the guy next to me. That's what's going to make me the man that I'm meant to be. That's going to define me. And I will finally have the fulfillment that is mine. Every one of those situations, whatever it is, a relationship, an achievement, a vacation, a hobby, an endeavor, any of those things, if they're trying to fill that deep psychic scar of longing of your soul, if that's what it is, you will have titillating anticipation as Jacob did. It'll be scintillating anticipation of, oh, how great this will be. It's almost in my grasp. How wonderful it will be. It's that titillating anticipation of taking Rachel to bed. But in the morning light, behold, it's Leah. Now, I don't, I don't mean to put Leah into this, this place unfairly. Because in the end, Leah is the one that the Lord really does have a protective spirit over. And, and I think that's obviously more than proper for us all. But, but it nonetheless, from Jacob's point of view, is a lesson that is worth noting. And a, and a lesson that this passage does make for us. But what is it in your life right now that in some way has taken the place of what Jesus is meant to do for you? What is that thing? I, I want you to identify it. Do you have Jesus in your life so that you can have a better marriage? So that? Your kids will do better in, in their life challenge so that you can have peace as you go about your career so that you can advance in your career. If anything that puts Jesus in the place of a means to an end rather than an end himself, well, then you have just set up yourself to wake up with Leah. You think you're going to get it all through this pursuit 
You're excited about bringing Rachel to bed and all the newness of that, but it will work itself out. It will eventually show itself because it's not Jesus. And you will wake up face to face with Leah and at the same time, face to face with yourself. You know, it's the odd part too, is if anybody's a soulmate, it's Jacob and Leah. They should both know what it's like to be the child that's passed over. They should both know what it's like to be the unloved sibling. To see your parents look natural, organic, affection and excitement every time they see your brother or sister. But not you. They both knew that. Even that soulmate wasn't going to be able to bear up underneath it. It's so easy to kind of fall into the someday my prince will come mentality as if that's what's going to finally make your life complete. That will give you shalom. That will give you peace. Someday I'll find my love. How thrilling that moment will be when the prince of my dreams comes to me. Someday when my dreams come true, Snow White sings, somewhere waiting for me, there is someone I'm longing to see. Someone I simply... I can't help but adore someone who'll thrill me forever. Someday my prince will come. Someday I will find the one. Though he's far away, I'll find my love someday. Someday my, when my dreams come true, oh please make my dreams come true. If all of this is hinging on anything other than Jesus, this song ends terribly. My last point, finding your soulmate. Finding your true soulmate. You know, God beholds the unlovely. God shows special favor to the unlovable. Even looking at Leah here, look at the mournful cry that comes from her through the end of this passage. I'll name him Reuben. Why will I name him Reuben? Because finally then, Jacob, Jacob will see me. He will see me the way that he sees Rachel. I'll name him Simeon. Why? Because maybe suddenly he'll want to sit and listen to me the way he hangs on every one of Rachel's words with laughing and interest. Maybe that will happen to me. I'll name him Levi. Maybe he'll naturally be attached to me the way that he so quickly cleaves to Rachel now. It's so painful to hear this in, in, in Leah's cries before the Lord and, and realizing that Leah too, Leah too is trying to find the fulfillment in every single way that is not going to lead to ultimate fulfillment. Frustration. Frustration is the lot of, of all of this. But here's the beautiful part of this story. Here's the hint of redemption. Here is our way out when we get stuck in these cycles. And it's a terrible brew because what normally happens is, is that you actually have been done wrong. You actually have been dealt a difficult deck. There, there is a reason that you have to overcome. There is a justifiable cause for you to say, my life is unfair. You have been overlooked. You are not the apple of the eye of, of, of the person that you so desire in some cases. That, that it may very well be the case. But when that comes, when the, and, and the victim mentality gets attached to that, 
Oh my goodness, how hard it is to get out of that cycle. We don't know everything that happens here, but we know that Leah comes out of the cycle. Because after, please see me, please hear me, please be attached to me, suddenly there's a shift. And now with Judah, there's no mention of, please let Jacob consider me. Please let, let, let Jacob want me. Suddenly, it's not about Jacob. It's not even about the children. It's not even about herself. Suddenly now, it's about the Lord. And while we don't know the inner workings between third and fourth child, we know that by the end of this narrative, she is a fulfilled woman. She recognizes the Lord has loved me. The Lord has considered me. It's no longer about me getting my validation from a man. I now am getting it from the only place that matters. From the only place that can quench the thirst that is unquenchable if not by the Lord. C.S. Lewis writes, if, if there's a reason that the things of this world don't actually fulfill you, well, maybe it's because you were made for something more than this world. That's what Leah began to realize. The Lord has been courting me. The Lord has been blessing me. The Lord has been loving me. I can drop all of these small little pursuits, small-minded myopic pursuits, and recognize I'm loved by the Lord. And now I have a new path of life. I will praise the Lord. And with that, fulfillment swept through her. Validation clothed her in the greatest of beauty. And she was able then to know what Jacob would eventually need to still learn. What it is to be finally fulfilled in the way that you were built by God to be fulfilled. If you've not yet been fulfilled by God. If right now you sit here and say, yeah, you know, Jesus would be pretty good. But you know what would be even better? If I end up with that girl, if that's in the tape of your mind, but, but if that is in the, in the calculus of, of you figuring out what makes you whole, if it's okay, but if I can get that next rank, yes, then I'll be fulfilled. And yes, Jesus would be nice. If I could have that affirmation at work, if I could have that, that achievement of my kids, then my life will, if, if any of that is there, if Jesus is a means to the end rather than the end itself, if, if God is the means to, to Jacob loving you, then rather than God being an end to himself, then you won't know the deliverance that Leah has at the end of the story. You won't know true peace. You won't know what you were built for and you won't appreciate what God is giving you. Now is the time to pivot with all that you've got as this story pivots and to go from please hear me, please see me, please be attached to me to getting to the point of saying, aha, now I will praise the Lord. Amen. Judah, now I praise the Lord. Now I am fulfilled as no one could ever be. Now I am bulletproof from all the vicissitudes and vagaries of life. What come what up and down what may. None of it will affect me because I am loved by the Lord. And my life is now to praise the Lord. We all have to end up there. My final charge for you. Is let this be a week that you come to a place 
where you praise the Lord for who he is rather than what he can do for you. And that will probably mean that you get with someone else. This is not that easy to do. Oh, okay. Nice, easy charge. Thanks. I'm not having to evangelize all those people this week in my final charge. I'll just praise the Lord. No, this is harder than any of those charges. Trust me. This is much harder that you can have your heart's desires refined to the point that God is really enough. And that the sweetness of your prayers will be praise to the Lord. Do not rest until this can really be the case. Connect with someone this week to make sure that you do talk with one another, that you come to no other end than the end where God is enough and you praise the Lord. Amen. We're dismissed to fellowship. We'll see you at leaders meeting.